Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Chocolate with a Side of Medicine. As you all know, I am Dr. Sunshine, and I am joined, as always, by Amy Jo, MD. Hey. Dr. No-No. Hello. And Dr. Chris. Yeah. And together, we make up the Chocolate MDs, bringing another new episode to the masses. What's interesting is that because of COVID, I don't personally feel like I've been in the fall spirit or anything. So I was actually I was actually going to try this weekend to like go to a pumpkin patch or get a pumpkin spice latte or something to get me into the spirit. Because what is time? It's COVID. I don't I don't even know. But how are y'all doing? We're in the South here. South Carolina, mm. it's, uh, it's 80 degrees. I think it's 83 degrees today. The sun is out. It's great football season weather. Um which is weird because, you know, being from Chicago, it's 80 degrees, but the season is transitioning. And so, like, the leaves are changing and they're, like, falling. And so I spent the morning sweeping tons of leaves off my deck in 80-degree weather. It's very confusing to my brain, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not complaining because it feels amazing outside. You yeah. know what? I'll take... I'll take whatever I can get because even we were in Chicago, like it was one of the years we were there for one of the winters and it was negative. I don't know. Insert oh. stupid number. I don't oh. Whatever stupid number you would pick. It was like negative. So depressed. That was negative so 20, 30. Was that polar 40. vortex. It was the polar vortex. Uh, negative 40. Yeah. Who knows? We, we could not get our cars out of the parking spots. <laughs> Literally. Like they were frozen in a block of ice. Like no tire shall move. And so it was the worst. And, and but then that's, it was but that's when <laughs> around the it, like the edge of the window in our apartment, if you look down at the floor, these beautiful wooden floors, it was frosted at the floor <laughs> because it was so cold outside. Then I was like, the cold is coming in. Like, what is happening? Am I in a movie? This feels like, you know, some ridiculous sci-fi show where like the inside is going to freeze and I'm going to be found on the couch, like in some frozen state. <laughs> I, was, I was, I was so scared. I like, I remember calling my dad and talking to him and I was just like, dad, it's like really cold. I'm like, I could like die. Freeze to death <laughs> outside. And then my dad was just like, this is, this was his advice. He was just like, just walk really fast. And it's gonna be okay. <laughs> really? <laughs> just walk really fast. That's all you got. He was just like, just walk really fast. And you know, just don't stay still. And then you'll won't freeze. I'm like, but then exactly that's exactly what I did. I walked really fast. And I was like, it's freezing. I can't. Yeah. But then this is also when people from Chicago were like, oh, man, you know, this is Chicago. We, we, you know, this, this winter built character. And they tried to tell people like me, the Floridian, like, oh, you can't get your car out. It's cool. You just got a rocket. You need some kitty litter. And they give you all these random tidbits of things. And you're like, yo, this is not normal. Like, <laughs> right. I don't know why y'all are trying to convince me that this ish is normal. This right. is not normal life. Right. Telling me how to how to melt the icicle around my wheels so I can rock my car out of the spot. Do you know how crazy you sound? No, we're right. not doing that. And then people we're not like, doing that. People be like, "Oh, it doesn't normally get this cold. Like this doesn't really happen." And I'm like, "Yeah, but it happened, so I'm good." Um, <laughs> mm -mm. <laughs> no, being from Michigan, that was the worst 
that was probably one of the worst winters I've ever experienced. And yeah. I, I'm familiar with being cold, but that was just negative 40 was, I think we were colder than Antarctica uh, a couple yes. days. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I was like, God damn, this is ridiculous. So, so you know, you know it's cold because like if it's, because you know, below 32 is freezing, right? So like mm-hmm. if it's 20 degrees and you out here like, oh, it's not that cold. You got your coat open because yeah. it's like, oh, it's 20 degrees. It's not that cold. You know, that's a problem. Right, because twenty degrees—that's frigid. Yeah, but this mm-hmm. was like negative, like negative forty, negative yes. fifty at some point, and so that yeah. was that was not normal. No, uh, that was not. I remember it because I remember I was sick as ever. I was working. Uh, yeah. I was working the Peds emergency room, uh, Peds urgent care, and uh, some nice little cute chubby baby had uh, smacked me in my face with viral particles, and I could not <laughs> breathe. I'm like out here trying to rock my car. I'm like rocking the car like it's going to come out or it like it's really going to move out. I'm just trying to put in effort before I go home and decide I'm not going to go work the next day. Right. So <laughs> I cannot breathe like I need an inhaler. Like the room is going black. I'm like, why are the edges so dark around the sides? Like oh, it God, is the yeah. worst. <laughs> I'm desaturating. It is cold. <laughs> this old, this like this old man, this homeless dude, like walked past. He was like, "You look bad." I'm like, Thank, you. Thank you so much. And so let me go back upstairs. Uh, Doctor Sunshine found me at the end of the day on the couch, like wrapped up, like probably just my nose out after uh, going to the urgent care and getting breathing treatments. I was like, "I'm I'm leaving here." I couldn't wait to get to the South. It was like 100 degrees when I landed in South Carolina. I was still happy. I was sweating, uncomfortable. My clothes were sticking to me. I could not be happier, though. All I can remember was that moment when I almost died in negative degree weather. So I'll take it. And they had the nerve, they had the nerve to send us that email like, hey, I know you might have seen on the news that if you go outside and you linger longer than 15 minutes, that you might get frostbite. And I know you guys probably saw that if you take a deep breath while you're outside, that your lungs might, your lungs (laughs) might explode. But we still expect you to be at work tomorrow. I'm like, you have the nerve to send this email to me. When in the middle of the polar vortex, I'm like, this is it. You know, this is, everybody. This is where my relationship with Chicago ends. This is <laughs> this is the this is the moment. We have we have hit the peak, and this is it. I mean, yeah. you know, people will be trying to call out left and right when they looked at the temperature that morning and be like, oh man, it is a little too chilly for my taste. Let me just. But I don't home. want my patients out there either, especially yeah. my black and brown patients are already high risk. They got yeah. a hip, they got a hip that's they keep trying to keep in place. And you want them walking over this ice in yeah. negative 20 degrees to see me in office? Why? No, stay home. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm yeah. still in that habit. I'm still in the habit of trying to like round up all of my like. 70 80 90 year old patients uh like right now so i can get their appointments and i'm like okay i don't want to see you till end of january just because i'm used to like (laughs) not wanting anyone to break a hip like trying to come see me slip on some ice so i'm trying to catch a bus yeah i'm like okay listen yeah i don't see you again until january okay Unless you really, really need me, right? They're like, okay, right. They're so cute. They're like, okay, we'll do. We'll be fine. I'm like, but I guess they don't really have to worry about slipping on ice in 80 degree weather, which is right. Crazy. I do the same thing too. I do Very the same happy. thing too. Yeah. 
But it's habit. I want to tuck mm-hmm. all my I want to tuck all my silver patients in for the winter, right? I like try to get all the medicines updated. Yep. Like we don't need any imaging, anything. Like let me just tuck you in nice and neat, and I'll see you in the new year. They still seem to be excited about it. They're like, oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. And I'm like, I legit be concerned. (laughs) 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 Oh, so yeah. All right, you guys. You want to talk about some current events? What's popping? So um, something exciting, right? Because we're going to talk about COVID in some aspect. But let's go to the fun one. Kelly Rowland is pregnant. Yay! She is my fave. I love her. She's my fave. I love Kelly Rowland. She is like, yes, she's so cute. So I like this because, um, well, one, I like when people are pregnant, but she's 39 and she's six months pregnant. Mm, And, you know, um, I think as young professionals, um, pregnancy, black women in pregnancy matters. And so it's nice to see somebody just celebrating a pregnancy right now. I'm sure she's got concerns and fears, but we have spent a lot of time over this past year or two talking about infant mortality and maternal mortality and the risk of going to the hospital and, you know, having mom or baby or both die. So I think it really like makes women scared. I, you know, a lot of women are like, can I get pregnant? You know, I'm almost 40 or can I get pregnant? I am 40, you know, you know, do you think it's okay? And so you're like, yeah, you know, it's okay. Even though you're like concerned. Uh, so it's nice to see Kelly Rowland holding down the fort, representing us 30 somethings, 40 somethings, getting pregnant, living her best life as cute as she wants to be. So I'm mm-hmm. wishing uh, Kelly and her husband and her son Titan all the best in the oh. safest pregnancy. I think she was like on her baby moon and she was taking a picture in her, you know, two mm-hmm. pieces. I was like, you better be fabulous. Oh. <laughs> just loved it. She is just like, my love for Kelly Rowland is like probably higher than the average person. <laughs> I feel you. But, but as soon as I saw her post, I was like, yes, Kelly, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. And of course, you know, like I'm sure that because, you know, her and Beyonce are besties, of course. And Beyonce had um, a very complicated pregnancy when she just had her twins. Yeah. So I'm sure like, and, and of course in the celebrity circles, you know that like, you know, Beyonce and Kelly and Sierra and like a lot of the women, even like Chrissy Teigen, John, John Legend's yeah. wife, mm-hmm. they're all really close. So I feel like they're in Serena, you know, they're all really close. And there's lots of women who've had these complicated pregnancies. So I'm sure that like, she's got some top notch doctors. They're keeping track of everything. And it just makes you more diligent because you have to be, yeah. you know? And even if your doctor, even if you feel like your doctor is not being very diligent, especially as a woman of color and you're pregnant, especially when you're, they call you advanced paternal age, which means right. you're over the age of 35, mm-hmm. you take it upon yourself to really, really be diligent mm-hmm. about making sure that this succeeds, you yeah. know? Right. So it, kudos to her. I think it's dope. So we got to talk about COVID mm-hmm. because the numbers mm-hmm. are through the roof. Y'all force um, me to talk about COVID I when I don't want to. But y'all you know y'all do this to me all the time. I saw a really interesting article and I just want to talk about it briefly. We're not going to COVID to death, like not today. Um, we know the numbers <laughs> are up. We know that they are climbing. Um, but it was interesting. There was an article, I think, on CNN um, or NPR, and they were talking about um, racial disparities in COVID. So when COVID first hit in the state of Mississippi, there was like 60% of the cases in 
uh, were black people. Mm. Um, and, you know, they, they were saying like, it's because of, you know, health literacy it's because of comorbidities, you know, the population just has a higher rate of diabetes, hypertension, obesity. And so this is just why they are dying at a higher rate. Well, mm-hmm. interestingly enough, as of October 14th, uh, the rate for black people and COVID went down like 37%, but for whites, it went all the way up to 59.1%. Mm. So for the first time, it did a complete reverse. And so white people are getting COVID and dying of COVID at a faster rate. So the deaths for white people from COVID in the state of Mississippi was like 47%. And for wow. blacks, it's down to 46%. Mm. Um, like for the first like two weeks, uh, 60% of the cases of deaths were white people, which is like mind boggling to everyone because, you know, this was supposed to be due to health disparities. And since the health disparities tend to be higher on the black side, everybody was wondering like what is happening. And so they think it's multifactorial, but at its core is that um, middle and upper class white Americans in the state of Mississippi may be having more gatherings and indoors they are, you know, hanging out more and they see that um, in black communities, there's just a better compliance with mask wearing, social distancing and all these things. So as, I was just going to say that. Yeah. So, you know, and they were and obviously they were talking about people like what their experiences are. And so they like talked about like uh, the HBCUs in Mississippi, like um, I think they talked about Jackson State and how their compliance on their campus is higher than average. And how in in cities and communities where it's predominantly black, they see more mask wearing in the stores, continue through the stores, you know, out and about. And so they think that the compliance of mask wearing and the behaviors have really changed their percentages so that for the first time in Mississippi, whites are dying at a faster rate than blacks from COVID, which I thought was really mm. interesting. I think it I think it brings up an interesting point because me and one of my coworkers were actually talking about this. Um she was she's actually from a southern state as well, not Mississippi. But I think that in the black in the black and brown community, I feel like the initial hurdle during like the COVID pandemic was like the lack of resources and just not knowing. It's like you just don't know the information. So let's get you the information, let's educate you on what's happening and this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. So that first hurdle is like, all right, lack of resources, let's let's get you up to speed. But then now it's October now, right? So mm-hmm. now that we're in October, pretty much everybody has the resources to know what's going on and how to prevent it. So now going forward, it's not really about the resources and the education. Now it's about your personal choices Mm -hmm. (laughs) and what you choose to do. And if you choose to wear a mask, if you choose to go to these gatherings, if you choose to do one thing left or right. So I think that now that the black and brown community have gotten, you know, the resources that they need and they have, you know, things instilled in them like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is how we prevent this from spreading. I think they're actually doing it. But I think that, um, especially with the middle and upper class whites, I think they're like, all right, we've been doing this for too long. I'm not going to wear a mask. This is the choice I'm making. Let the result be what it may. And that's kind of what we're getting, especially people who are anti-maskers, especially in the South, especially in Trump country. They don't really feel, you know, the need to wear a mask all the time. And that's why maybe they're seeing an uptick. And then the black and brown community is seeing like, Mm -hmm. you know, a downward, a downward trend. 
You know, someone right. had the audacity to come out with a mask that looks like a fishnet stocking put over your face. And what? that was part. No, literally, like they're selling these online. Mm. Wait a minute. Like literally, mm. it's a it's a covering, a fishnet covering that goes over your face. And they're they're marketing it as, well, if you're going to make me wear a mask, this is the mask I'm going to be wearing like when I go into the store. But it's not a mask. It's a covering with holes in it. What? Hmm. I mean, you could put a mask and then a fishnet over it to make it a design. No, this was a just a fishnet put on this person's face. That and that See, was the these mask. are things. These are things I don't have time for. I, I can't. I can't. Process <laughs> I don't think they're doing that in the black community. I'm just saying, based on no, yeah. that's some bullshit. Oh my god. Sorry, well, can we swear? Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I mean, mean, I mean, Doctor No No. Just, I mean, technically, No yeah. No. It's our podcast. We can do what we want. But I, in my head, I was thinking maybe keeping it PG. You know, PG thirteen. I, I did mark the explicit check when we uploaded it, so I think I'm okay. But, <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll but I mean, here. but but I'm curious as to what you guys are seeing, especially Chris and Amy Joe, because you guys are also in the South. Mm-hmm. So do you guys see that similar trends like that in the Carolinas? Yes. So I will say that when I look around, you know, I, well, you all know that I am very COVID disciplined, except for the fact oh. that I have to go to work and be exposed over and over again. But in my, <laughs> <laughs> no shade, no shade. it was just, you know, but like when I, when I'm at the store and I'm looking around, I will say that that's kind of true. Like when I, when I see most of, black and brown people, they have on a mask. I have definitely seen um, people walk into the store with their mask on and rip it off like when they get down the hall, down the, like the aisle in the grocery store, but they never look like me. Now, it could be my, it could be a bias. It could be, you know, something, but I'm just trying to think about times where I've seen like, you know, black and brown people come in the store and then take their mask off. You know, I don't think so. But, you know, once the Rona permeated into the black community, that was all we needed. We gave it a name. Like, it's got a name. It's a personality. Like, we're trying to protect right. ourselves. Like, the Rona became official when it became the Rona, right? So nobody's trying to get the Rona. <laughs> like, black folks right. don't want to do that. Like, we don't have time. Like, if we don't work, we don't eat. So, you know, I think about a lot of my patients, you know, that are like, listen, I got to show up to get paid. So I do not have time to become ill. So no, but I, I do see some, I do see some element of, of non-compliance and um, I, you know, I'm in the deep South. So I hear the arguments both sides. You think it's real. I think it's manufactured. You know, I don't really think this is a thing. I don't know why I have to wear this mask. I definitely have at times gotten requests uh, for, can I, can you write me a letter? Give me permission to not wear my mask. That's a hard no. What? You miss me with that. Really? Um, yeah. I've gotten that request as well. So I'm like, no, I want you to be protected. No, I want everybody to wear their mask. So, but yeah, it's kind of a thing. Well, that is, well, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, in, in terms of the, uh, the, I guess the, uh, Caucasians having a higher rate of COVID, like down in the south, uh, in your area, we're not seeing it here, at least in Chicago. Um, I, I actually just attended a, a conference uh, that was, you know, primarily based in hospital medicine, but we went over some really good stats and, you know, the COVID cases that have been uptaking here in um, Illinois and specifically Chicago. And I don't know if you guys have seen or 
Now I kind of make it a habit to like tune in to like the local news and watch the uh, daily updates from the uh, Department of Public Health, the commissioner and uh, Dr. Oh, I'm going to butcher her name, uh, Dr. Nogozi, who is a board certified internist and pediatric uh, uh, physician with the county. And she gave the most heartfelt speech this morning, and she literally broke down in tears of the rate of COVID cases and how they are increasing exponentially, you know, here in Chicago and the surrounding areas around the, around the state. So, I mean, I was looking at it. So trying to look at it from a non-physician point of view, if I saw the head doctor of like everything Chicago get on the TV and cry about how bad our cases are and how bad they're going to get if we don't follow these guidelines, I would, I would really switch my thinking up real quick. Like I would be listening to every word she had to say to make sure that my friends, my family, the people around me don't get sick and die from this virus. Because I also, I, I, like we said before, like I work in a hospital and I deal with this every single day. Like our, my census is now almost all COVID patients right now. Yeah. And I work in a community hospital, like on the North side of Chicago. So it is very real. We haven't had too many of the flu combo uh, COVID cases, but we know that they're coming. So I can't, I put it out on all our social media, mask up, sanitize, social distance, and just, God, just stay home. If you don't have to go anywhere, everything's closing down anyway. You don't have anywhere you need to be. So just stay home and stay safe. And get your Dr. Chris, shot. you were going to. Dr. Chris, you were going to say something like oh. two, three times. You've been trying to say something. What are you trying to say? It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So I was just going to say that basically um, I've been, my experience has pretty much been like very similar to um, Amy Jo MD's experience as well. That uh, a lot of times, even when I do go to the store, the people that I see, I usually see the people that look like me, the black and browns, like they just... They always have a mask. And sometimes I see some um, Caucasians that don't have a mask. Um, But it's, I do think it could be also a little bit of a bias too, because like, it's just some people, it's not like everywhere I go, I see it, you know? And I think it all depends on where you are, what region you are too, that you can see that. But I've, I've gone to some places and and seen that there have been some people that just don't want to wear a mask or they put it underneath their chin so it's kind of like you're not really wearing a mask yeah that's not helping yeah so mm-hmm. it's like but you're not wearing a mask you know it's funny you say that one of the things in the article it talked about you know that it may be in the message while we're seeing this conflicting thing so you know we had an administration that initially said this is nothing serious maybe mm-hmm. it's fake it'll probably be gone nothing to worry about and then we had like the cdc dr fauci medical community saying no you really need to do these things and so we really put people on a pathway where they can make a decision about the route and we know we're all doctors we know what happens when we give people two options mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, i mean God. it sometimes is frustrating you're like you know how can you make that decision but once we, you know, put some ambiguity in there, we knew this was going to happen. Like, so part of it is, you know, to be expected. I think that, you know, this will be interesting to follow and see, you know, do these trends continue in other states? Um, and what happens 
when all the numbers flip flop. Um, it's just that was very interesting. It's like, mm-hmm. huh. So, mind you, when I'm out here talking to my cousins in the South, the South is okay. First of all, you guys know I'm in California. In California, it's like one of the strictest states. Everybody has on a mask all the time. There might be some counties, especially in Southern California and Orange County, where they're like, how dare you infringe on my right? And then they're like, all right, we're not going to wear a mask. But for the most part, California is super, super strict. Doesn't matter. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, everybody has on a mask. Our governor is not playing. But when I talk to my cousins in the South, Georgia, Alabama, they're out here playing contact sports. They're playing football. They're in schools. Like they're doing stuff that I'm like, listen, I can't even imagine that. But then they also live in these areas where they're not very populated. You know, Mm -hmm. they live in these rural areas and they are monitoring, you know, the cases in that rural place. But I'm like, contact sports and in-person school and they're lowering down all the barriers and things. I'm like, but their cases are going up. So I think it's, I I agree with Amy Jo. When you leave people to their own devices and able to make their own decisions, it's like, oh, well, you can choose this and you can choose that. And because it's not standardized, people can do what they want to do. (laughs) And they are doing everything they want to do. I mean, this could be an episode in itself, but I think we should probably, and we don't have to talk about it now, but definitely like touching on, because with the holiday season coming up, you know, family gatherings are going to be all the rage. So I feel like that's something we can probably put in your ear for now, but we'll probably talk about it at a later, later time. Yeah. So I guess it'd be time for us to start the main topic of what we're talking to about today. And, um, the reason why I wanted to talk about stroke, because, I mean, it's it's really important because it's really actually the fifth leading cause of death, according to the CDC and, in the U.S. And um, they, according to the CDC, uh, in 2018, one in every six deaths were due to stroke, right? And, and then there's something else that I was looking up to, and then I just didn't really realize it, but stroke is really the leading cause of disability among a lot of people in the U.S. And I thought about that and I'm like, yeah, like I see a lot of patients that are disabled, can't work, and it's because they had a stroke, you know? And I never really thought about that until I read that. And I was like, oh, that's so true. So that's why I I do think it's something that we need to talk about. And I think it's important. A stroke is when there is an interruption in your blood flow in the vessels in your brain, and then it can cause cell death in the brain. And because you have cell death in the brain, then you can probably end up with decreased function of whatever, basically it is based on whatever vessel that was affected that can uh, cause the dysfunction. So for instance, I know all of us see patients who have had stroke or, um, well, mostly in primary care, a lot of times we see the patients like after the stroke or maybe before they can have a stroke. And I know with the hospitals like Dr. Nono, she normally sees them in the acute phase of a stroke. So I guess for you guys, like what are some of the things that you see with stroke patients? Oh yeah. So I get people when they are having the stroke, um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, we had Me one too. like last week. She, so in the hospital, when there is, um, when there's someone's having a suspected stroke, it's usually called a code, code stroke or a code fast. And uh, code fast is actually a acronym that um, a lot of people should know 
because it helps you look for the signs, uh, signs and symptoms of a stroke. And it's super easy to remember. So the F stands for facial drooping. So you, in a stroke, you'll notice that one side of your face, um, you know, it looks a little droopy. So your eyelid may not go up or your mouth is kind of you know, downturned. And if you ask someone to smile, then you'll notice that kind of asymmetry in their face. Um, arm weakness. So that's the A. Uh, so if you ask someone, like, hey, can you lift your arm for me? Can you lift your leg? Um, you know, sometimes in the acute stroke phase, you, they won't be able to move their arm. Um, S is usually for speech. So if you ask them to say a sentence, um, you'll notice that the speech is kind of slurred. And then T stands for it is time for your butt to call 911. And <laughs> really? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. It's essential. So, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, Dr. Chris is right. So, usually when they come into the hospital, um, we are treating them for the acute uh, issues with the stroke and then making sure that they get all the treatments they need in addition to the rehab once they're ready to go. Yeah. Um, but maybe you guys can maybe talk on the point about you know, who gets the strokes? Like who's at highest risk for a stroke? So, so Dr. No, no. And uh, Dr. Chris bring up a point. Time, time is of the essence. Oh yeah. Uh, I surprisingly get a few, what we call subacute strokes. Mm-hmm. So you had everything in Dr. Nono's uh, acronym. You had some weakness, you had some slurred speech some vision changes. Ooh, one side was weak. And what you decided to process on all of that was, ooh, this is different. I should make an appointment to see my doctor. And so (laughs) into my office, you come, you know, three days later, and I'm like, wait, when'd you get that cane? What, What, did you fall? Like, no, nothing happened. And so time is important because time helps doctors like Dr. Nono determine what they can do. Some some things can be reversed, but you've got to get to the hospital. Please don't make an appointment to see your primary care doctor to talk about these kind of symptoms. We are okay if you bypass us and go to the emergency room. You could tell us all about it when they discharge you home, but don't wait. I have had a few people come in to say, well, I knew something was wrong, but I decided to wait to see what you thought about it. And I have sent people out of my clinic via ambulance to see what we can do. And most of the time they are diagnosed with a stroke, but you know, at that point, there's not a lot to do except for wait to see how you recover and just make sure all the other things are taken care of. Yeah. So you bring up a very good point because um, the thing is there are what a lot of people ignore is what's called a TIA, which is a transient ischemic attack. And what that means is that there is some interruption in blood flow in the brain. So it's like you can't get any blood in the vessel and for a little bit of time, but then it resolves and then you get some of your function back, right? So then therefore you see that you get that sudden weakness, that uh, slurred speech, And like maybe about like after an hour or so, it goes away and everything goes back to the same. And you're like, okay, that's great. But it is important to tell your doctor that because the problem with that is that's like we said that TIA, that increases your risk exponentially to actually have a stroke where you will have that death. Well, you can have all of those symptoms, but your function doesn't return the same. 
right? So that's a mini stroke too, by the way, for right. the folks at home. Those are the ones when y'all are like, oh, Big Ma had a mini stroke. Mm-hmm. We really call those TIAs, meaning um, you're going to probably have a big one because the many ones are telling us that there is danger and you are not feeding your brain enough blood flow. So just, you know, because people, I've said TIA to patients and they have been like, oh, no, I didn't have that. I had a mini stroke. They're the same. So mini stroke, TIA, trans-ischemic attack, all the same. It all means that you in danger, girl. And you, <laughs> and you know what? And you know what's interesting? I feel like... um I'll speak in terms of like my family in the black community. I feel like pe- I'm actually impressed at how well aware people are of what strokes are and when they happen, because they'll tell you about like a mini stroke, baby stroke, oh, or you have, or you're growing up and you have that one uncle, they talk kind of funny. And I'm like, oh, what's up with uncle so-and-so? Like, oh, he had a stroke, so he can't say blah, da, 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 da. And I feel like they're very aware that this happens, which is different from like, you know, when we talk to people about diabetes, they're kind of confused about like, oh, why is my diabetes so bad? How did we get here? How did this happen? I feel like in the black community, they are very aware of strokes like, oh, slurred speech. Oh, we got to go. We got to go. Oh, look at this face. Uh, it's very like, you know, so I, I am actually really impressed by that. Now, that being said, they do end up <laughs> in like the Amy Jo and B category where they're like, oh, I got to make an appointment with my doctor real quick. I'm like, no, 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 no. You can go to the hospital. <laughs> right. They're right. like, oh, I don't know those people at the hospital, but I know my doctor. I'm like, I get it. <laughs> I get it. You, you, you trust your doctor. But I feel like they have trouble with the step after that. Like they can point out the stroke like, oh, because, you know, if you haven't been if you haven't been drinking, you're not inebriated, stuff like that. And the speech starts slurring. They're like, oh, we need to get you to someone. But that someone is like Dr. No, no. <laughs> Right. Not not us in the clinic three days later, a week later. Right. Because the the time that uh, Amy Jo was was talking about. So there is a medication that we can give if you fulfill the criteria for it. uh, But we can only give it within the first four, four. And I think the guidelines spread out to uh, six, actually. So four and a half to six hours is the window for this drug that we can give to you in the hospital if you have an acute stroke and you fulfill the criteria to receive it. But if you come anytime after that, then, you know, that window has passed and the drug is not going to help you. So I know y'all love your PCPs. I love them too. Dr. Chris, Dr. Sunshine, <laughs> Amy Joe. I, I would love to like have any one of them as my PCP, but you don't need to see them when you're having a stroke. You need to come see me. So... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And another important thing, too, is that, yes, they can give you that medication to possibly like bust the clot that's causing the problem with the blood flow. But then there's also other interventions that they can do to help regain your function. Like it's important to do speech therapy. It's important to do physical therapy and also occupational therapy, which also just means therapy above the waist, the waist up. Uh, so that you can regain your function and then maybe you won't become disabled, right? After you have the stroke. So this is why it's important to go and get the medical attention. The disability one, you know, when you were talking about it earlier and saying, you know, how like the largest effect of strokes is disability. That is a real issue because in the clinic. So after Dr. Nono has seen you, passed you up, you know, after she's connected you with the resources that Dr. Chris is talking about. So after we said, okay, you're stable, you can go home, but here's your physical therapy. Here's your speech therapy. Here's your occupational therapy. It's the unknown. Are you going to recover full strength? And 
I see lots of young people. So the, the bigger issue is that the strokes aren't happening anymore to our grandmothers. Well, not only happening to our grandmothers, our grand, our grandparents, they're happening to my, my 40 year olds and my 50 year olds and my 60 year olds who are still working, who have not retired, who are still, you know, feeding families. And there is nothing uh, more heartbreaking than have to tell someone, I'm not really sure that you're going to get the function of your hand back and they work in a plant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or I'm not really sure that you're not going to have a limp and they're a transporter in a hospital. So the disability part is, is significant because if I can't get you back to your baseline, where you were before you had the stroke, then I'm automatically concerned about your mood. Are we going to see some depression set in? Is that depression going to impact how you interact with your family? Is it going to impact how you interact with your job? It, it's like a just this never-ending slope of events that can happen. So um, we are always, when we're like really driving home education, really trying to make you take your medicines, really saying get to the hospital as soon as you see it, we got to do it now. Dr. Sunshine made a point that in the Black community, we know strokes very well, but we know strokes very well because that when my when I see the family come in and they're bringing like their parent in or their grandparent in and the kid is there and they know all the answers and all this stuff, they know it because they did it before. Right. right. Exactly. And we got to stop learning it from real time experience. So mm -hmm. when, you know, grandma comes in and, and the granddaughter is with her and she's like, she had the stroke at this time. We, you know, gave her an aspirin. We called 911. We did all this kind of stuff. And you're like, wow, this is such good information. I'm also a little sad because I know behind the scenes you've been here and done this before, which means somebody else had a stroke or mm -hmm. this is not her first stroke, his or her first stroke. And that's just that's heartbreaking. Exactly. It is. It is. Uh, but the thing is, the good news is there are ways that we can we can do things to maybe prevent or decrease our risk of stroke. And this is why we go to the doctor. And as PCPs, our business is really trying to prevent things, right? Decreasing your risk. That's all we do every day is look at what's your risk of a stroke or a heart attack? How can we minimize your risk? And there are a lot of things that we can, that you can do to try to minimize your risk. Number one risk factor for stroke is smoking high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity, you know, mm -hmm. if we reduce, if you work on all of those things, you can reduce your risk. And I think that when I see my patients, like, especially when we were in Chicago, <laughs> like, now, mind you, my, my patients tend to be um, not as acute and not as high risk as the ones I was seeing in Chicago, which, of course, is the same clinic where we all practice. Mm -hmm. But there are lots of patients that used to come into the office in Chicago. And when they see the MA or the nurse and they get their vitals taken, you know, sometimes the, the nurse or the MA will run into the room and get the doctor and be like, hey, doc, I just I just took your patient's vitals and these vitals look bad. And I'm like, oh, man, how bad? What are we talking? They're like, like stroke type bad. I was like, oh, geez. <laughs> and then, of course, like, you go see the patient. They're just sitting there like, do, 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 do. You know, I'm no fine. symptoms, no nothing. They're like, I'm like, do you have a headache? They're like, no. I'm like, are you short of breath? They're like, no. You have chest pain? No. I'm like, then you bring them into the room and you have to really have a conversation with them. I'm like, do you realize that your blood pressure is so high that you are in 
the stroke category. And they're like, whoa, doc, a stroke. That's a, that's serious. I'm like, yes, I'm glad we're on the same page. It's very serious. We got to get this down. And I'm like, and the fact that you're having these symptoms, the fact that you're having this, the such a high reading for your blood pressure and you're not feeling anything that tells me that your body is accustomed to just running this high, Mm -hmm. which means that we really have a problem, which means you've been at this level long-term. So God forbid you, you know, miss a bus or someone, you know, frustrates you in the parking lot and you get a spike in your blood pressure. We're, we're gone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Or, or you get the patient that, you know, they have the high blood pressure then like, Oh, your pressure is high. What happened? Oh doc, I just smoked. Like, five minutes ago and you're like yeah really but you know what i've been educating people to say it doesn't because you're right dr chris they'll say well i know why it's high so mm. then it's okay and i'm like it doesn't but matter it's not if you okay. right. the cause. it's still high like we right. still need to treat you because you're high because people come in and say oh well it's been high for me it's been running high for me at home too but the kids are stressing me out. You know, it's just been a really stressful month. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't mean we shouldn't just let you run around with high blood pressure. Just means that we can identify it. And so they become a little bit more um, resistant to either wanting medicine or wanting more medicine or wanting any change to their medicine. Right. And it's hard to sell them on the disability because that's really my concern. You're too young to be disabled. I I have this speech at least once a week. You are too young to be disabled. And this is what's going to happen if we let this blood pressure, because your kids aren't doing what you want them to do, stay this high. We can't do that. We've got to treat them. And the thing is, and the thing is like the patients are so resistant to being on medication. And I have to tell them like, if you have a stroke or a heart attack, you're going to have to be on meds. So, oh, multiple, multiple. And you're going to be on more meds because of that, right? Because mm-hmm. now we're just paying catch up, right? Where we could have just put you on some meds to just prevent your risk, right? As opposed to you already had the stroke or you already had the heart attack, you're going to be on these medications for the rest of your life. At least exactly. if, if you didn't have anything, we could put you on meds maybe for a short period of time. Maybe we can discuss taking you off of the medication. But once you've had the event, that's it. You're on meds. Dr. Nono is about to fill your med list up before you leave her hospital. <laughs> <laughs> He's about to be oh, yeah. I tell people, like, we're, we're talking about two, because, you know, they'll be in there fighting with you, like, ah, why well, I me? Mean, why do I need two for my blood pressure? And I'm like, let me, let me, I actually literally started laying out everything you're going to be on if you have a stroke. Mm. Like, let me tell you how bad this can get. So the two are not controlling you, which probably means you need a third because the two that you have are already maxed out. So we're going to do three blood pressure medicines. We're mm-hmm. probably going to give you an aspirin. Mm-hmm. We're going to put you on a statin. We're already at five. Okay. If you've got diabetes, that's going to be insulin or medicine, depending on how high it is. And if your stroke caused any dysfunction, right? Mood, any depression, that's going to be another one. So we're now up to seven. If you're a guy and you got a penis and all of a sudden that penis isn't working, you're going to want it to work post-stroke. So now we just add on another one. So we just went from <laughs> you walking around minding your own business, taking your two blood pressure medicines, doing what you want to do, only being asked to diet and exercise and try to lose a little bit of weight to potentially 10 pills. Yeah. What are we doing? Mm-hmm. So, so when you tell me you don't like taking them, I don't know. Go ahead. Don't so, you? you know, kind of going with that. So, 
you know, diet and exercise. So what we kind of like are harping on the point is that these are modifiable risk factors. So these are things that we can treat and prevent them from getting really bad to prevent you from getting, you know, having a, you know, catastrophic stroke where you're disabled essentially for the rest of your life. So I kind of wanted to touch on, you know, with the diet. So there's, you know, there's actually a couple of diet plans that are recommended by the American Stroke Association. Um, and they're not like plans per se, just like kind of guidelines for you to follow as you're um, making your meals. But one of them is the DASH diet, which is there's a low sodium one. So low salt for all you, you know, high BP uh, people out there. And then there's also the uh, Mediterranean diet. So that's primarily, you know, using things like extra virgin olive oil to like uh, help cook your foods. It's primarily seafood based. So a lot of those uh, like salmon and like uh, uh, good fish that you can cook with. Um, Legumes include like lentils, chickpeas, uh, nuts, seeds, and leafy greens. Like those are all, you know, parts of the uh, Mediterranean diet. Um, And I kind of, I feel like I just follow this like on accident just because the food just tastes really good. Um, (laughs) But you can't, you got to remember that if you're not, like Dr. Amy Joe was saying, we can put you on all these meds. And yes, I will put you on meds before you leave the hospital. Um, <laughs> but but they're not going to work if you kind of go back to eating like the same stuff that brought you in, in the first place. So if I put you on a blood pressure medicine and you go back and you check out Harold's and get like the greasiest thing on their menu, I mean, those blood pressure meds ain't going to do anything. I mean... It's the goal is to help lower your salt, and you just like blasted your body with all the salt imaginable, and that is going to keep your blood pressure high, no matter how many blood pressure meds that we give you. Now, listen, like that's another counseling point because, especially like older, not to pinpoint them, but especially older men, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, especially like black and brown older men. For example, my grandfather, rest his soul. I would be like with my grandfather, you know, he'll get like all this, these extra pieces of bacon, everything smothered, blah, blah, blah. My grandpa, you can't keep eating like that. Like you're already on medications. <laughs> and I'm like, you've already had a heart attack. You got a stint. I'm like, why are we doing this? Right. And then he's like, well, I got to get my cholesterol pills, something to do. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm, like, no. I'm like, first of all, that's not funny. <laughs> Second of all, I understand why you feel this way. He's like, well, if I ate perfectly, then I wouldn't need a cholesterol pill. And I'm like, no, this is so backwards. (laughs) Yeah, this is so backwards. So I literally had to like sit down with him. My mom was like, because, you know, with my mom, it's her father. She's like, can you please sit down with your grandpa and just talk to him? She's, she's like, you're the one. You're, and at this time, I was a med student. Because, you know, you know, in the black community, once you're a med, even if you're a student, they're like, oh, doc. They start calling you doc as soon as you get to the med school. Hey, hey, little little doctor, go talk to your grandpa. I'm like, grandpa, you already have... I'm like, right. yeah, I'm like, I'm like, Grandpa, you already have a stint in place. You've had a heart attack. I'm, I'm, I'm praying to God. We're so happy that you're still here. I need you <laughs> to stop eating like this. And he's like, all right, you know, I'll tone it down. I'm happy you talked to me. Yada yada yada. And he actually did improve. You know what I mean? So for the next ten years after that, he actually got a lot better. Um, but I feel like you need to counsel, especially a lot of the older men, because it's hard for them to break their ways and they've, they've kind of rationalized it on their own. And I'm like, we can't do this anymore. Okay. Okay. 
yeah. yeah, and that and that's so true that you bring that up because like there's some people like I just feel like certain diseases like people just already like have given up, right? They're just just like, well, it is what it is gonna be, and it's like you try to tell them like it could get better if you just take your medication, if you just do what we say, you know? I've been trying to, you know, I've been trying to tweak the education because it can get better. And in some cases, we can see some reversal of your diseases if we can improve, you know, your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. It's not just diet and exercise. It's kind of like just the whole approach to it. Like, do you take your medicines all the time so the things that are out of control can be controlled so that you can feel better? There's no way you can convince me that your blood pressure being 180 over 100 every day, day in, day out, plus having diabetes and having high cholesterol and eating a diet that's really high in calories, but really poor in nutrients. You can't convince me that you feel well. You just know that you can grind through the day every single day, but you don't feel well, right? Can we can we get you back to a place where, where you feel good and the risk of you having a stroke is not going to be there? We can back down on medicines, right? The reason why doctors don't talk about taking your medicines off is because we understand personally and professionally how hard it is to live a lifestyle that allows us to do that for a long period of time. We can all do it. We're good for 90 days. Give me a, give me 30 days. I'm beautifully compliant. Right. Mm-hmm. But to say, I'm going to look like this every day becomes hard. And so doctors don't really talk about taking you off your medicines. I've been trying to be better about actually saying like, listen, here are all the opportunities that we have from medicine every day for the rest of your life to titrating off your medicines, the ones that we can, Um, but it requires so much hard work, but I'm going to put it out there for you to make a decision, um, just to try to provide a little bit of some, some hope so that people know what the the options are. I agree. And I also, I also want to bring up the fact that the reason why we're hitting on all these different things at once is because just to simplify it, if you think about like your blood vessel, like a water hose, the reason why we're hitting on high blood pressure, diabetes, and cholesterol is because if you have high blood pressure, it's almost like you're increasing the pressure of that water hose and you, and this water hose has to work really, really hard not to burst. That's number one. With the cholesterol, that's basically clogging up the water hose. So with the high blood pressure, you're increasing the pressure in the hose. With the cholesterol, you're clogging up the hose. And then if you have diabetes and the sugar circulating in your body, that kind of weakens the entire hose across the board. That's kind of a simple way of putting it. So if you're increasing the pressure and you're weakening the hose and you got the nerve to clog it up with your cholesterol, then yeah, the water hose is going to be like, you know what, we're just going to stop working. And then boom, that's a stroke or a baby stroke. So you have to kind of incorporate all of these things, the Mediterranean diet, the exercising, and you have, and you got to kind of make it work for you because everybody isn't the same. Some people don't have the same amount of free time. Some people have kids at home. Some people live in a food desert where it's hard for them to get healthy things to even eat. So it's, it's our job as the PCP to kind of help you create a plan that works for your lifestyle because ultimately we want to see you succeed. I know you've you heard us uh, mention high blood pressure, diabetes, and high cholesterol. So those are three main risk factors, right? So if you have those things and you go to your doctor, we're going to be like, hmm, you have diabetes, you have high blood pressure, whether it's controlled or it's not controlled, 
right? And you have some uh, elevated cholesterol, that's going to make us think, okay, your risk of stroke or heart attack is a lot higher, right? And because of that, we're going to want to put you on certain medications. So you've heard uh, Amy Jo MD talk about statin, which a statin is a type of medication. It's a cholesterol-lowering medication um, that we put a lot of patients on. And some patients, we put them on that medication, even if their cholesterol is not necessarily high, but but there are some risk factors, like they're diabetic. So if you're between the age of 40 and 75, you're a diabetic, it's the recommendation is more than likely you're going to be on a statin. And it's mostly to help to reduce your risk of stroke and heart attack, because there've been many studies that show that putting you, putting a patient on a statin can help reduce their risk of stroke and heart attack. Dr. Chris, mm-hmm. listen, you about to step on all my passions. I know. And this is a good <laughs> conversation because, you know, um, gosh, I love this. Yeah, I told so, you. <laughs> well, the thing about it is, is that I actually, I'm probably the most conservative when it comes to the statin. I have been backing off of a statin, right? And I actually have been going back to try to find the earliest uh, lipid panel that we had and recalculated that ASCVD risk to make sure that this person should have been on a statin. Because if I, you know, I've got some young people, 50-year-olds, 40-year-olds, some that are on statins because they're on cholesterol. And we've said, and because they had cholesterol, they had like diabetes with moderate cholesterol, but they're not really really meeting the demands. They don't even qualify from an age standpoint to even be calculated for an ASCVD risk. And we've got only statins. In the meantime, they have these muscle aches, which is a common side effect of the statin. And so I really don't put people on a statin unless they've got their LDL, L for lousy, lousy cholesterol is 190 or greater, or if their whole percentage really truly calculates higher than 10%. I know you're going to get into it, but if it's not 10% or if the LDL is not 190, I really try to keep them off of the statin because um, it comes with a lot of, you know, comes with a fair share of side effects. Now we've got new literature out that's talking about, you know, CKD and liver problems. And so I just don't want to start a 30 and 40 year old off on a statin if I can help it. Now, some of them are through the roof. Like I had a 300 LDL this week, and I was like, oh, so did I. I? So did I. And like a and like a twenty five year old. It was, I was I like, know. I was so surprised. Early that 40. could be that could be a family history, possibly. familial. Yeah, yeah. It, and that it could be. Thing. Mind, you I, saw, mind statin, you, I saw him for a physical, and I asked him about family history, and he didn't tell me any of that. So then, once I got these blood results back, I sent it to him, and I sent a very detailed message. I'm like, we need to talk about this, and we need to also uh, talk about your family history in more detail because I think we forgot something. Because if we did it, <laughs> if we did it, <laughs> then this is like extremely high, unprompted, yeah. and that's not that's not okay. Twenty five, yeah. So basically, um, we were talking about this risk score, this ASCVD risk score, and basically, what this is is it um, uses it's a calculator that we use um, over the next 10 years and what's your risk of a stroke or a heart attack, right? And there are certain guidelines depending and it's it goes, there's a lot of parameters involved in the calculator, like your age, your blood pressure, your race, um, if you have diabetes. So based on the risk, the risk score- Do you smoke? 
if you smoke, right, based on the risk score, we decide whether or not you would be a candidate for a statin, right, the cholesterol lowering medication. And if your risk is between like, I think, what, five to 7.5, you're considered like five to less than 7.5, you're considered to like a moderate risk. And if you're over 7.5, you're like high risk. Um, And if you're moderate, the recommendation is to kind of like first have a conversation with the patient, lifestyle modifications, then discuss possibly putting them on a medication versus putting one on a medication. I mean, it really all depends on the actual patient, like what's going on whether or not you'll do that. But then when you're like over 7.5, the recommendation is to put you on a statin. If you're like 22%, you're supposed to be on a statin. So. And you know what? In my, like in my office, I actually pulled, like (laughs) I have this cholesterol conversation at least twice a day because a lot of my patients who have a lot of medical conditions, they're finding me and they're like, yes, you trained at Cook County. Like, you know what I mean? You, you know how to do this, blah, 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 blah. So they find me. (laughs) So I pull up this calculator in front of them because a lot of them, but I'm also Mm -hmm. in California and they like to have all the data. They Mm -hmm. love the data. I'm like, okay. I, I literally turn my computer screen. I'm like, this is the calculator. I'm going to put your your numbers in this calculator. We're going to look at it together. And it's really helpful for them to see the visual, especially when you can hit the button in front of them and say, do you smoke? Yes or no. Do you have diabetes? Yes or no. Because they can also see like, dang, if I have a yes and it changes to a no, that changes my risk level. I'm like, and it's very visual for them and they love it. And then we talk about it. And for most of my patients, if you're in that moderate range, even if you're 7.5 or above, like marginally above that, I give the majority of my patients a chance to get their life together. I'm like, look, you're marginally high. The cutoff is 7.5. You're sitting at 7.7, even eight. I'm like, you didn't even know your cholesterol is high because a lot of times they don't even know. You didn't even know it was high. You know, you can do better. You're not exercising often. You're eating garbage basically. (laughs) So let's give you, let's give you a chance and then we'll check it again in three months and then we'll make, you know, and they usually like that option because it doesn't feel like you're throwing meds at them and it doesn't feel paternalistic. So I give them a chance. Because 7.5 to 10, it still, the literature still says that that warrants a discussion. The the decision to put the patient on a statin is really the discussion between the doctor and the patient and really up to the doctor's discretion. Like, based on what you know, do you think this is the most appropriate step? I'm kind of like Dr. Sunshine. I'm, I'm really trying to see all we can do with lifestyle and where we run out with lifestyle. Then, yes, I'll pick up and take over with medicine. But I don't want to meet you 100% to that pathway to wholeness. I really want to just fill in the small gap that you have. I want the rest of it to come from inside your home, in your kitchen, and how you're working your body out. Mm-hmm. Right. I do the same thing with my patients as well. I, I show them the risk and I'm like, you're in this time. And a lot of them, like when you show them, they're like, oh, I can do this. I'm going to try to lose weight and eat better. And I'm like, great, do that. And my... And I'm very much the same way too. I usually like to give my patients a chance to see if they can change the things that they can change. Sometimes there are some things that you just can't change, right? But there are some things that you can change. So I give them a chance and they're like, doc, I promise I'm going to, you know, eat better. I'm going to lose weight. And I'm like, all right, great. And then we'll see where you're at. And your (laughs) your risk can go down. Your risk can go down if you do those things, right? So- It's it's not like it's a your risk is like 7.5 and it stays 7.5 forever. If you change some of these things, your risk can go down, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I use it as an incentive for my patients to do better. 
I agree. And they usually like that option. It sounds like what you got to know is strokes happen when you cut off your major highway of blood flow to your brain. That could be very dangerous. Dr. Nono told us the acronym FAST or how to recognize it. If you think you're having a stroke, please do not call to set up an appointment with your primary care doctor. We want you to go to the emergency room so you can get the care that you need. Take your medicine, eat your vegetables, do your exercise. And if you have questions, see your primary care doctor. I think we kind of all agree that we want your lifestyle to dictate uh, your health more than anything. But we're here with uh, prescription pads ever so electronically to help you out (laughs) if you need it. So uh, talk to your doctors, guys, you know, watch your diet. We're getting ready to go into November and December in this salt laden holiday. Please be careful with what you're eating. And, um, you know, that's what we have for you. So we will answer some questions. Cool. That was a really good summary. I just had to say. <laughs> you know, Amy Jo's good at that. You know, she's, she's so good at hitting, hitting home that. the points. Right. Basically, like, I know we said a lot of stuff, but right. boom, 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 I kind of feel like we, we right. didn't even need to say all the other stuff. She just said it. It's like, we done. I know. She said it less than five minutes. <laughs> Go, go ahead, no, no. <laughs> oh man, y'all! I swear. Oh, and I just want to kind of clear up uh, so confusion. So the drug that we would be giving you if you did come to the hospital with a stroke, you know, is TPA. And again, I'll include all the stuff that we talked about on our website. Um, but that window is actually three hours, and it can be extended to four point five. Um, six is not indicated at this point in time there's still research being done if we can give the medication out that far but all y'all need to know is as soon as you start feeling those symptoms just go into the er do not wait on this do not sleep on it just go into the er okay Mm -hmm. so with that our first question we have one that is fairly serious and one that is kind of serious so i'll start (laughs) (laughs) so they're both serious Wait, you mean like emotionally serious or like, no. serious, like hey, maybe you should go to the emergency room? No, serious. no, no, no. Like, like it fosters a lot of like good discussion type of thing. Oh, not like, not like this person is dying. They just want, it's a good topic. Oh, okay. I was like, because here's a like disclaimer. If you guys are ever dying, you need to go somewhere. <laughs> emergency don't room. message in us. Don't, don't message don't us. Send us. Don't, don't send a text. Yes. Don't, just, don't text us or email us. You need to go to your local health professional. <laughs> Well, All right, let, we'll, get let me, one. we'll see what happens, right? Okay, yeah. All right, so the, this one I just got today. So, so hi, Dr. Nono. I have a question about snot. If my snot is green or yellow, does that mean I have a cold? How can I tell if I have a bacterial infection or a virus? FYI, they got tested for COVID and they're all negative. You know, this is a good question because the color mm-hmm. of mucus has collected more uh, copays in the United States of America <laughs> than probably anything ever. <laughs> yeah. So, so here's the short answer about color and snot. Color tells you nothing generally <laughs> because depending on the cells that are coming off. So you've got these cells, the cells are everywhere. Sometimes they slough off as you're like blowing your nose or sneezing or your nose is running and they will provide a tint to your mucus, to your snot. And that color can be everything, yellow, brown, things like that. Where I get concerned is it 
are you bleeding? Like, is there blood in it? Does that tell me something? Even then, hold on before you rush off for your antibiotics. <laughs> it could be irritation from chronic, you know, dryness. You may have been blowing your nose for weeks. And so the color doesn't tell you anything mm-hmm. um, as it relates to, is that a bacteria? That's your short answer for that. Yeah, I agree. Because um, most people come in and they're like, oh, I've been a runny nose and I have this. I think I have a bacterial infection. I mean, more than likely, it's probably viral. Like, that's the most common. I mean, yeah, that's a possibility. But, I mean, just don't really know. I and mean, it really I- all depends on your symptoms, how long you've had it. If you've had it for a longer period of time, I might be more willing to think it might be bacterial, possibly. But... It all depends on your presentation. Now, mind you, there has been like a lot of research done on this to the point where they've gotten, at least with the doctors, they have encouraged us to do a little more digging to figure out what's really going on with your symptoms because we're trying to minimize the amount of time that we have to give you guys antibiotics. Mm -hmm. So number one, we're trying to avoid prescribing your antibiotics, period. And two, we want to make sure that you really warrant antibiotics. So it's a combination of both. And when it comes to sinus infections in particular, there are certain things that we take more seriously than others. So like Dr. Chris said, if you've had these symptoms going on for like longer than 10 days, that's a red flag. If you notice that you're starting to have, you know, ongoing headaches, like especially frontal headaches that happen in in like, you know, like in the area, like right above your nose, if you have ongoing headaches, if you feel a fullness, and by fullness, I mean like you feel like increased pressure in your cheekbones, in your in your forehead, especially when you're having these headaches, that's another thing. If you have fever, if you have chills, there's like a list of symptoms here that let us know, hey, this maybe isn't viral and going to self-resolve. This is ongoing and progressively worsening, you know, then we need to be concerned. So we're not being, we're not being stricklers when we say we're not, you know, giving you antibiotics. So I always get that, you know, well, when I was in clinic, you know, I would always get yelled at by patients saying, well, why aren't you giving me antibiotics? Like, obviously this is, you know, an infection that needs to be treated. So why aren't you doing anything about it? So like Dr. Chris, I just mentioned, you know, a lot of these infections are viral and you cannot use antibiotics, which are used for bacterial infections to treat a viral infection. It's literally not going to do anything for you. So most of the time we treat this symptomatically. So Tylenol, uh, this wasn't in the original question, but I know I've been asked about using neti pots as like a way to cleanse your, your sinuses, um, you know, using a humidifier, especially in Chicago, when it gets cold as all get out outside, you know, the dry humidity in your air can also kind of cause those uh, infections to flare up. So we usually recommend a humidifier to be placed in your room at night to prevent that from happening. Um, and yeah, I get so many sinus. I talk about sinuses more than I care to most yes. days of the week. You're the and expert. It, mm-hmm. it, no, I'm not an expert. I just give you a question. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got a sinus infection, you or your sinuses are now inflamed, and you know this happens the same time every year, you're starting to get the symptoms. That is a really good time to stop drinking your sugars. If you are a dairy eater, stop eating your dairy. It makes you mucusy. Because when you start to get into the history, everybody says, oh, well, I always like to have a glass of juice at night before bed. So you drink that juice and that sugar, you lay down, 
and that sugar and that juice, along with the food or whatever else you've eaten right before bedtime, gets to continue to work its way up because it can go down your throat, but it can also go up where your nasal sinuses are. And it just kind of sets there and causes lots of inflammation and lots of pain. And you say, why isn't this going away? Like I did everything you said, but your diet matters and sugar and Dairy is one of the two are two of the things that just really set it off. So you got to cut all that stuff out. Also, to clarify, Dr. Sunshine is saying, you know, 10 days, that's trouble. 10 days of the bad symptoms, right? You're saying, listen, for the first week, I had a little congestion, felt fine, but thought it would go away. Then come week two, all of a sudden, my face is hurting. I just knew it was going to go away. But now my face has been hurting. I've got a headache. I got, you know, ear egg, my ears ringing and it's been doing this for 10 days. That triggers us to think maybe this is, you got set up for a bacterial infection, but not, well, my nose was a little itchy on Monday and now it's been 10 days. And then today my face hurts. Um, This means I need, this means I need antibiotics. Please don't tell anybody the chocolate MDs told you that one day of facial pain warranted <laughs> antibiotics. We did not. Uh, I do not need your doctor coming to look for me. I did not say that. Um, so there's a difference. And, and I think people say, well, when I get the antibiotics at urgent care, I feel better. Sure. Because there, there can be some anti-inflammatory properties um, to the antibiotics, not because it wiped out anything in your nose but just the inflammation went down we can do that with ibuprofen Mm -hmm. which is advil or Mm -hmm. naproxen we don't have to give you an antibiotic that is going to set you up for something we can't fix down the line so you know there's that and because if we give if we give you antibiotics when you don't need it the problem is is when you really need the antibiotic you're you form resistance and we can't treat you so that's the reason why we try not to just throw antibiotics at you because then if you really do get a bacterial infection and you you know the bacteria the bacteria gets smart it learns how to how to survive and even though you gave it you gave it the antibiotic it's supposed to you know it learns how to survive and so then it makes it harder to treat so that's why we don't want to give you antibiotics exactly wait out of curiosity was that the super super like serious one or the well, which one did we just do? <laughs> oh, that was the that was the okay one. This is like the one that might have a b- bunch of discussion. Oh, um, think about this. Okay. Um, all right. So from again from the same person. Uh, so this question is actually around the context of government policy. So how are MDs involved in government policy changes that affect healthcare? Ooh, that's a long question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't. I don't think we have time. See, I told you it was long. Um, so what I was that could that could actually be a whole episode. To be honest, it, it really could. It oh, could. Maybe we should do that. Yeah. Ooh. So let's let's do that. So caller or listener, I think we call listeners now. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we're gonna save this. Yeah, my bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> so <laughs> so we're actually gonna save this question as a topic for one of our future episodes. So just uh, keep a lookout for it. And yeah, so I I will say for me personally, um, and even kind of like laying the foundation for that sh- for for that future episode that 
doctors can hold so many different positions and every person that's a doctor isn't just a primary care doctor or a surgeon or work in a hospital. There are doctors who hold all different types of positions in the world. Um, and for in me in my life personally, because I was doing things hands-on with the California Health Corps during the pandemic, I have also considered transitioning from primary care to public health in the future, possibly. And that's just one example of someone who is in one field of medicine who can transition to another one. And there's thousands of fields that doctors can be active in. And that's why the answer to your question is not simple. It is very complex. Yes. Come over to the public health side. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Chris, Dr. Chris already has a, has a public health degree. Cause she's over here, her and Amy Jo are here stacking degrees. They're just, right. they're just like, oh, I have this master's. I have this master's. I have this one. I'm like, guys, I'm just a doc. You know, I'm just, I'm just out here. I, yeah. I'm like, I'm, I mean, I'm just an MD. I don't got all these masters to my name. I'm not stacked. I have a no, business degree. Okay. And an MD. That is all. Yeah, I but just, y'all got girl, masters. Over. I just have a master's in public health. It's it's okay. Yo, downplaying these. Yo, I wish you could hear like the round of applause of all of our listeners. Like to see beautiful black women with all these degrees. Like that is something that a lot of people aspire to. So never sell yourself short. Oh, I know, right? Nice. Thank you. So on that note, of course, that's what I'm here for. So on that note, I want to give you guys a heads up to check out our brand spanking new website. Um, it's called www.thechocolatemds.com. Um, from there, you can actually check out all of our um, uh, previous episodes, which are uploaded to the website, in addition to checking them out on your streaming platform of choice. Also, from every episode, we do put the uh, words that we kind of, or medical terms that we use on the show uh, on that website. So definitely go over there to check them out if you have any more questions about them. We also have a contact form that you can uh, fill out and it'll go directly to our email. And yeah, cool. All right. Till next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye, guys.